Hey, this is Carl Anderson. I'm the senior pastor of Sierra Bible Church, and this is our sermons podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope that this message fills your soul with hope, helps you see the beauty of Jesus, and allows you to feel the love that God has for you. If you want more information about experiencing God's love for you personally, head over to sierrabible.org and contact one of our pastors. I love you, and I'm praying for you. Well, good morning, church. Thank you for the marathon read there, Aaron. I appreciate it. All right, so everybody get comfortable. You brought snacks for message this morning. Uh, it's actually a very simple message this morning, very simple application, big idea uh, as we jump in, as you will see. You can always tell what somebody believes, though, based upon the actions that they take, what they do. So how many of us believe that in order to be a decent, functional Human being, on a given day, you must first consume black liquid. (laughs) Yes. How do we know that we believe that? Well, if you look look at uh, my good friend Brandon sitting over there, he makes himself coffee and he drinks it. Others believe that exercising is essential to stay healthy and in shape. How do you know that they believe that? They go out and they exercise. They're running, they're at the gym, they're doing those kinds of things, right? Uh, How many people believe that they can find some amount of happiness by finding uh, a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse, a significant other? A lot of people believe that, right? And how do you know that they believe that? They're out there trying to date. They're out there trying to find a spouse. They're uh, enjoying those things. Now, often uh, our beliefs that we have do prove true at least to some degree, right? Where, I mean, for example, coffee, for those of us that are addicts, uh, they do, it, coffee wakes us up in the morning, right? Right. So there is some dem- demonstrable sort of uh, proof there that we're kind of right when it comes to that. Uh, for those of you that are uh, exercising nut jobs, like uh, Pastor Carl, um, they feel better, right? I, 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 my guess is that Carl could probably run a little further than I could, just a little. Uh, and did the, there's, there's, there's proof that is there. And for those of us that have been married for many years and, and are, are happily married, we found a amount of joy and happiness and contentment that comes from those kind of relationships, right? So, so the actions that we take often, they, they do prove true and they do prove us there are good consequences for them. But sometimes the things we believe aren't exactly true. And they can, the consequences of, of believing those true, the actions that we take as a result of those beliefs, sometimes are just have silly side effects. And other times they can be disastrous, right? So you think of the baseball player who believes that he, in order to win his games, he cannot change his socks from the games to the game, and he cannot wash them. What are the consequences from that? Is he right? Is that a true belief? It is not a true belief. He still loses some of those games, doesn't he? And what are the consequences? Well, a stinky gym bag is probably the worst of it. Maybe some athlete's foot, that kind of thing. Uh, some people might believe that the government is secretly trying to control your behavior through radio waves. What might the actions they take because they believe that? Well, they buy a lot of tinfoil, don't they? <laughs> what are the consequences? Well, they might look ridiculous wearing tinfoil caps, and their bank account might be slightly lower because they keep buying Costco-grade tinfoil. Or some believe that you will be the one exception to the rule that the house always wins. 
And so your life you leads to a life of addiction to gambling and, and spending everything and living on the streets. That can be kind of disastrous, right? Our beliefs lead us to action, and there's consequences for those actions. The reality is that all faith, all belief in anything and everything should lead us to action. And if that faith proves misplaced, it can be embarrassing. What if coffee didn't really wake you up? Money wasted. What if exercise really had no physical benefit? Time and energy wasted. What if relationships never brought joy? Effort wasted. In other words, faith ultimately is risky. If you don't like that word, it's costly. How's that sound? Faith is costly. It is risky. We are in the book of Hebrews, and we're going to continue a discussion that we started last Sunday about faith. As we saw last week, the author uh, of the book of Hebrews defined faith as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. Um, and maybe just uh, another spin to put on that is uh, faith is simply living as though God is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And living life as a result. And what I want us to see today from this passage, I think the author of Hebrews is demonstrating to us, is that faith, our faith in Jesus, ought to result in action. And not just action in general, but risky action, costly action, action that would be considered silly or reckless or wasteful if our faith proved to be untrue. So last Sunday, the author of the book of Hebrews gave us two examples of what this faith looks like. Uh, they were Abel, and, and for those of you that paid attention, who was the second person? Abel's, Abel's the hard one, so I'll give you the, the last one. Who, who else did we talk about last week? Noah. Noah, thank you, yeah. Noah, we looked at the example of their faith. Now the author is going to basically, as you just heard read by Aaron, he's going to unleash this floodgate of examples from the Old, Test- Old Testament of what, the, what faith looks like. And as we'll see, their faith always results in action. So let's jump in again. Hopefully still have this passage opened up. Hebrews 11, verse 8. And he's going to spend some time talking about our good buddy Abraham. Okay, so Abraham, starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he's looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So God told Abraham, hey, I have an inheritance for you. I have a land for you. I want you to get up, and I just want you to start walking. I'll tell you when to stop. Abraham believed God. How do you know Abraham believed God? He went, right? There's going to be an action word associated with all of these. Abraham went because he believed in God. Now, consider for a moment if Abraham's faith proved false and he got up and he went. What were the consequences? Were there, would there be any negative consequences, costly consequences, of his decision to get up and go? Well, yeah. I mean, he's leaving his family behind. He basically, his entire life, he's living as a nomad, right? He and his sons, and they, they're living in tents. They don't have any established roots anywhere, but they're living, hoping that, uh, in, and believing that God would give them this land as they continued on. They left the comfort of their home and their family to believe, to pursue what they believed God had called them to do. They believed God and their faith led them to action. Abraham 
went. Look at the next two verses, 11 and 12. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So God also told Abraham something. He said, hey, I'm going to make you into a massive nation. You're going to have multiple descendants. You can't even count them. There's going to be so many of them. And guess what? Abraham believed God. Well, how do we know that he believed God? He and Sarah were able to conceive and have a child. For those of you that have ever been in a season of trying to have a kid, you know that life looks a little different during that season. And we're not just talking about the intimacy part. But there's other things. You start buying books, right? You start uh, making plans. You start looking at uh, name lists. You start... uh, preparing to have a child, you chart cycles, you get pregnancy tests, you do all these different things in preparation to have children. Now imagine Abraham is a hundred years old and Sarah's 90 years old and they start this process, right? Imagine if we're here at Sierra Bible Church and we had a couple that was a hundred year old, 90 year old, they come in and they start talking to us. They say, hey, we, uh, we're trying to have a kid. We're trying to, we're trying to get pregnant. So they start going to the roots class in the morning to, for the young families. And they're getting in on that and, and learning some things from them. They start buying books and they start doing studies together on, on how to raise a family. They start uh, looking at the, the real estate market and looking for a home that's going to be able to fit their expanding family. How, what are your responses to somebody who's doing that? You would laugh at them, right? Which is exactly what Sarah did. <laughs> You would laugh at them because that is ridiculous and that's crazy. And yet Abraham believed and Sarah believed that God would do this for them. And they, their lives starting to change. They, and if they were wrong, how silly would they have looked? Pretty ridiculous. Did they keep it quiet and not tell anyone? No, they knew. People knew. Abraham believed God and his faith led him to action. Look at verses 13 through 16. Talking about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having them seen and greeted for them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak like this make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But that is, as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. So the author here, he takes kind of a quick break uh, to talk a little bit more about how Abraham and the patriarchs lived and never saw the full fulfillment of the things that God had promised. And yet they continued to pursue them. Their faith in God led them to desire something beyond their earthly home. And the author tries to point out, says they never had that because uh, it wasn't talking about the home they were raised in because they could have gone back to that at a certain point, but they didn't. Why? They were longing for something better that God was going to provide. And I love this. God says, it says, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. God is happy to be the God of those who simply take his word for it. And so he's not ashamed to be called their God. And as a result, he prepared for them a city, a heavenly destination for them. 
So the patriarchs believed God and they went to their graves believing God would satisfy them in their heavenly desires. And their activity, their action as they lived their lives demonstrated the fact that they really did believe that. They believed God. Still talking about Abraham, he continues in 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So what did God tell Abraham to do? I want you to go offer your son. The son, by the way, that I said... I would bless you through. And Abraham believed God and obeyed him. And how do we know? He took his son and went to offer his son up on the mountain. Now consider if Abraham was wrong, what would the consequences of that have been? A dead son. But he believed the Lord. And he was, he was willing to risk, right? He was willing to, to pay that cost to obey God. And he thought his son really would die. And just that God was able to raise him from the dead. So he's like, okay, well, this is going to be hard, but you know what? God will raise him from the dead. And we know how the story goes. God keeps Abraham from offering his son and instead provides an offering in his place. Abraham was willing to do whatever God said. He believed God and his faith led to action. And now finally we get off of Abraham. Look at the next Two verses, 20 and 21. This is Isaac and Jacob. It says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons, each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So both of these men believed all of the promises that God had given to their dad and that God had given to them. They believed them. So much so that when they were to die, they pronounced the blessings over their kids and over their grandkids basically handing those promises on. And if they were wrong about that, they would just they, they would seem like they're eccentric, weird old men who are believing in fantasy and tales, and their kids probably would have thought they're nuts. But they believed the Lord, and because they believed the Lord, they blessed their kids, anticipating, expecting that God will fulfill his promises for them. In both cases, these men believed God, and their faith led them to action. Look at verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. So if you recall, Joseph ends up becoming king of Egypt or second hand to the king of Egypt. And he's providing for his family and they're living in Egypt because of a famine. And Joseph, before he dies, knows all of the promises that God has given to him, to his uh, ancestors. And so as he's getting ready to die, he instructs the people, says, hey, when God takes you back into the land, make sure you take my bones so I can be buried there. Again, if he's wrong about that, he's just a weird old man asking for weird things. But he believes the Lord, and that leads him to act. Joseph believed God, and his faith led to action. Look at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So whose faith are we talking about here now? Not Moses. 
Moses is mom and dad, right? By faith, his parents, they had been commanded by the king of Egypt, a king who had forgotten all about all the good that Joseph had done, had made a command that all Hebrew boys should be killed. And so instead of fearing Pharaoh, his parents took him, put him in a basket, letting God take care of it, because they knew God had called them to, to preserve life. And they sent their daughter to, to watch and see what happened. Why? They believed God was up to something. Their faith in the Lord led them to action. If Consider the consequences if that faith was misplaced. Moses would have drowned. They probably would have been found out that they were disobeying the edict and faced penalties there. But they believed the Lord and their faith led them to action. Look at verses 24 through 26. By faith, when he was grown up, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God, rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household. And so if if he had just stayed there, what kind of life would he have lived? Luxury, royalty, comfort, leisure. But instead, he chooses to identify with his people, forsaking the wealth of Egypt, rather to be treated as one of the slave people. Why? Because he believed the Lord. He believed God was going to do something greater for his people than Egypt could do for him. And because he believed that, he was glad to take on the reproach. The text says the reproach of Christ. It could be a couple different things. Either he, was, he took up the kind of reproach Jesus took for us, right? Being identified with us. Or it means he, believed, he just knew the kind of Messiah that would come and he wanted to be like him. Or it might just mean that his role, Moses is kind of serving as an anointed one for his God's people. Either way, he was willing to take on the reproach of God's people to be made like them, and to forsake all the good things that he had. And what if he was wrong? He just lost out on a pretty sweet deal. But Moses believed God, and his faith led him to action. Look at verse 27. By faith, Moses, still talking about Moses, left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, the first time Moses left, he was afraid. This is talking about the second time he left with God's people when he leads them out of Egypt. And so God had told Moses to take his people out of Egypt. Moses believed God, and how do you know? He went and he took God's people out of Egypt. He stood before Pharaoh. He told Pharaoh a whole bunch of things that Pharaoh did not like. Pharaoh was very angry with him. He ends up taking God's people, and Pharaoh chases after him. And we know how that goes for Pharaoh's armies. But Moses believed God, and so he obeyed and took the people out of Egypt. Now, what if Moses' faith had been misplaced? How would that have gone for him? He'd be dead. He would have been executed, right? Pharaoh wouldn't have stood for it, and it would have gone horrible for God's people, and it would have been a giant nightmare. But Moses believed God. God and his faith led him 
to action. Look at verse 28. Still talking about Moses. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. You guys remember uh, the final plague that God had dished out on the Egyptians. God had told Moses to uh, teach the people to institute the Passover so that their firstborn sons would be saved as the judgment fell on the land of Egypt. And... It happened just as God said. Moses believed, and he did that. But consider the consequences. Had Moses obeyed and Moses been wrong? Well, it'd be weird. He'd kill a whole bunch of lambs, and they're painting their doors with lamb's blood. Be kind of People think he's kind of a psycho if it didn't work out. Or if the destroyer came anyways, and it didn't actually protect them, the, the blood that they offered, if they, they might have lost all of their firstborn sons as well. But Moses believed God and his faith led him to action. Look at verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So the people of Israel believed God was delivering them. When the waters parted the sea, and they were told to walk out on dry land through the midst of the sea. How do we know they believe that? Because they ended up crossing through the sea. And again, had they been wrong about that, you got a whole lot of drowned Hebrews. But they believed the Lord, and their faith led them to action. Verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been circled for seven days. So God had told them, the people of Israel, you will defeat Jericho and you're going to do it my way, marching around in circles for several days. They believed God. How do we know? They marched around in circles around the city. Consider the consequences had they been wrong about that. Is that a very sound military strategy to march around a city with fortress, uh, that has fortress walls making a whole bunch of noise and then shouting at the end? Sounds like the beginning of a Monty Python movie, right? It's not going to work out. But they believed God, and they did it, and they acted in faith. Verse 30, or verse 31. This is the last one he mentions before he continues on, and we'll talk about them next week. It says, verse 31, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she'd given a friendly welcome to the spies. So you guys remember the story. She lives in Jericho, the city that they're marching around. And they've sent some spies to scout out the place. And Rahab, a prostitute, had heard all of the things that God was doing for his people and believed that God would give the city to them. And how do we know she believed that? Because when those spies came into town, she says, I got to help you guys. Come in here to my place. I'm going to keep you hidden. I'm going to hook you guys up. Just make sure you protect me when you come through. Don't let me, don't let me fall under the judgment that's coming here. Consider if she'd been wrong about that. Well, word's going to get back, and she's going to be tried for treason because she's basically forsaking and turning on her people to, in order to believe what God has come and promised to do. She would have been tried and probably executed had she been wrong. But Rahab believed God, 
and her faith led her to action. So here's my question to you guys this morning. As we consider our faith, what is your verb? What is the action that your faith in Jesus leads you to do? To leads, leads, leads you to engage in, right? Do you believe God, dear Christian? Do you believe in his promises? Do you believe he has something better for you than this world has to offer? Do you believe that your best life isn't now, but it is in the future? Do you believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead for you? Do you believe those things? How does that impact what you do? Does that change your activity? What is your verb? What is the actions that you take? What risky and costly things do you engage in because of those beliefs? If your faith doesn't regularly put you at risk for loss, for waste, risk of uh, waste, risk of embarrassment, how can you be sure that faith is genuine, right? Our faith should cost us and lead us to action. If it costs us nothing, consider what it is that you are really putting your faith and hope in, right? If, if I say that I believe that a field that I have found has buried treasure, but I'm unwilling to spend everything I have to buy it, do I really believe in that buried treasure? I do not. If I say that I believe the Bible to be the word of God, right? One of the things I'm trying to introduce for us is after we read scripture, the person says, this is the word of the Lord. And we say, thanks be to God. If we say we believe that, that the scriptures is the, are the word of the Lord, and we're truly thankful for that, but we don't ever read it or try to apply it or try to understand it, do we really believe that? Do we really if I say that I believe that Jesus is Lord, like he's boss, he's king over everything, but I regularly act like his commands don't apply to me. Do I really believe that? Do I really believe that? If I say that Jesus really is my greatest love and treasure, and yet I, I devote most of my time to pursuing other interests, other hobbies, other loves, do I really believe that? If I say that hell is real and that the, Jesus is the only way to be saved, and yet I never tell others about Jesus and what he has done, I really believe that. Dear Christian, believe God. Believe him. And allow it to transform and change the kinds of things that you do, the kinds of things that you engage in. And really, the reality is, every time I sin, every time I screw things up, it's because in that moment, I'm not believing the thing that I know to be true. Right? That's ultimately what all of our sin is rooted in. It's a failure to believe and trust God, take him at his word. I believe deep down in that moment, my way's better. I know better. It's not worth it. But dear Christian, he is worth it. He is 
trustworthy. He is true. Let's believe him. Let's trust him. Let us persevere in believing. Let us push onward like these great examples that we've seen. We need to live like we believe that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he said he will do. I would love, I would love for what could be said of us as a church would be that Sierra Bible Church believed God and their faith led them to action. Let's believe him. Allow it to fuel everything that we do moving forward. Well, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. In the same way, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is the ultimate example of what it looks like to believe God. What did it cost Jesus to obey and believe his father? Death on a cross. It is this action that Jesus took that he calls us to remember when we celebrate communion, when we take the Lord's Supper. So in a moment, I'm going to be praying. And after I'm done praying, if you are a follower of Jesus, which means you're a disciple of his, you're walking with him, you know him, you can come forward and take communion. We're going to have uh, three groups of people that will be standing up front here. Um, with the trays and you could come forward and you're free to come forward and take communion. You can stay up here and take communion. You can go back to your seat, take communion. But before you do take communion, for those of you that are followers of Jesus, I want to encourage you to spend a moment before you just get up and come. I want you to ask yourself how your faith has led you to action. How has your belief in who Jesus is transformed the kinds of things that you do? And I'd also like you to ask yourself, what next step, what next action, what activity is God calling me to take next as I obey him, as I believe in him? Now, if you're watching online, um, I want to remind you that communion is something that the church does as it gathers. So the communion this morning is, is not for you. I encourage you, uh, make sure you're here next, uh, next time we take communion so that you can celebrate with us, prioritize gathering together so that we can remember as a body. And if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, or if you're not sure, I want to ask you this morning to not take communion. This is something that is only for disciples of Jesus. Instead, I want to ask that you would stay at your seat. And after the service, we're going to have a couple of our elders who will be up front. You can come talk with them. They pray with them. They will share with you how you can start following Jesus today and we can prepare you to take communion next time so i'm going to pray after i'm done praying take a moment and then you can come and take communion so let's pray together father thank you so much for your grace and your kindness that you are a god who is worthy to be trusted god 
We can believe in what you've done for us. We can trust, we can risk, we can take actions of great cost because you are in fact trustworthy. We will not be disappointed. We will not uh, believe in vain. So God, help us to live out our faith. Help us to act in a way that is consistent with the things we know to be true, the things we believe. Father, I pray right now for those of you here that do not yet know you, do not yet have a relationship with you, God. I pray that they would see that they need your son, Jesus. They need to trust and believe in what he's done for them for, for the forgiveness of sins, God. That they would turn and be saved. God, help us to trust in you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.